Well, we can stand for the reading of God's Word. It's our practice at the reading before the sermon text. And I have three passages that I want to read, all of which have to do with this idea that the church is the household of God. And so we start with 1 Timothy 3, 15. I'll start with 14. The Apostle Paul writes, I am writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long, but in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. And then Ephesians chapter 2 We read this at verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built up on the foundation of the prophets, the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. And then Galatians, back one book. Galatians 6, we read this, 6 verse 10. So then while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we pray your blessing. We, we are distracted. We are pulled in many different directions in our minds. And it's hard for us to focus our minds for longer than 30 seconds. So we pray that by your spirit, we would have that focus and, and give attention to the preaching of your word. Help us, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. So today I am concluding the time we've spent thinking about the church, the bride of Christ. I want to focus on something that I touched upon a few weeks ago, you'll remember, and that's this. The church, as all of the passages we read say, is described as a household. It's a household. Now, we all basically understand what a household is. We don't need much of an explanation, do we? We understand a household to be those who live under the same roof, right? In the same home. It is not necessarily those who are of blood relations. Those who are adopted, we would say, are as much a part of the household as the children Um, the non-adopted children of the parents. A household is a family unit. A household is an an intimate society with multiple generations and and some sort of structure of authority. Okay? Um, There is a bond that is more than that uh, which we have as being citizens of the same country. There's a relationship, there's a bond of love, there's a commitment, there's, there's loyalty within the household. 
As far as biblical authority in the household, we are taught that the father is the head of the home who has authority over his wife and children. That the wife has authority over her children. And that the children have no authority. Not yet. Your time will come. Your time will come. And having seen authority, you will then be able to exercise authority. Um, children in, in the household are recipients of the blessings of authority, right? Love, teaching, discipline, training, correction, provision, all those things are the fruit of authority. So we, we generally understand what a household is. Now, what do we learn from the fact that Scripture teaches us that the church is the household of God? Right? Why is it important that we should realize this family relationship? Right? God has adopted us right, into his household. God has adopted us, making us brothers with his son. He's put us in his family and called us to live in his home, in his household, under his good and powerful fatherly rule. That's what he's he's. By saying, you're in my household, he's putting us under his benevolence and glorious authority. It's an amazing thought, isn't it? That God would be the head of our household. The Christian faith is not one where we are left to ourselves, right? To be lonely and saved. To be saved and, and lonely. Right? It, is not one, it is one where we actually come into a family, and not just a family, a, a sort of family. It's God's family that we come into. Right? The family of those who love a great and loving father, who have an amazing older brother, Jesus, who are bound together by the Holy Spirit. Right? It's, it's an amazing household, the church. Now, Lloyd-Jones says of this fact, here's what... Martin Lloyd-Jones, pastor, said, It would have been a very wonderful thing if God had just decided not to punish us, not to send us to hell. That would have been a wonderful thing, right? We all would have thrown parties about the fact that God said, No one, you know, you're not going to hell. In our natural state and condition, which the apostle has already described, living to the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh, and of the mind, and being children of wrath even as others, we deserve nothing but hell. I say that it would have been a wonderful thing if God had merely decided not to leave us in that state and not to punish us, but God's way of salvation does not just stop at that. He elevates us to this dignity of children. He adopts us into his own family. The family of God Almighty. The family of the creator of the stars and the nebula. The, that's the father of our household. And we, we're not just separate from him. We live in his home. We live in his house, the church. Just the very fact that God has brought us together into one family and invited us to live together in his household is a wonderful picture of the grace of God. He lavishes his love upon us in bringing us into his household. Now, do we understand this? Do we understand the glory of this? 
right? This is the part of every one of my sermons where I'm like, okay, you really need to think about it, okay? Let's wake up a little to these glorious truths, right? Um, do we understand the glory of being called together uh, and, and living together in God's house, God's household? Those who don't understand this are like the person who prefers to spend Christmas Day alone. You know anybody like that? Yes. Oh, man. There's one person in the world, he can confirm it, that wants to spend Christmas Day alone. I mean, the glory of Christmas morning is the householdiness of it, right? Uh, the family together enjoying one another's joys, the, the society of, of our homes, our households. Every day in the church, in the household of God, it is Christmas morning. It's actually Easter morning, but just stick with the analogy, would you? It's Christmas and Easter morning in one. <laughs> you know, those, those who understand the church to be something it is not, an unnecessary taker, taker up of time, you know, a, a superficial addition to an already uh, packed schedule, a distraction from real blood family. They're spending Christmas Day with no trees, no cookies, no gifts, and worst of all, no family. It's as pathetic as a man who prefers to be alone on Christmas Day. Bah humbug. Right? Not recognizing the glory of the church is like that. As Lloyd-Jones said, if God had just saved us from hell, he would, have, he would have done marvelously, but he goes over the top. God is stupendous in his graciousness. Right? He's, he's always over the top. The Christian is not merely a man who is forgiven and saved from hell. Remember, he said, much more than that, he has been adopted into the family of the eternal God. And so we have the church as our mother, God as our father, Jesus as our older brother, and a whole host of adopted siblings in the church. God has gone over the top to provide you, each one of you individually, with all the encouragement, nourishment, discipline, love, joy, and society you need. And he has done so by placing you within a household, the church. Okay, here's a question consider, to consider. In your relationship to the church, are you playing the part of a rebellious teenager? No matter how old you are. In your relationship to the church, are you playing the part of a rebellious teenager? You know what I mean. The rebellious teenager who curses his mother and father. Who dies to be out from under the bondage of his mom and dad's authority and home. The place where he currently gets all his clothing all his food, all his shelter, his warmth, his bed, his toothpaste, his health insurance, his teaching, his discipline, his love. Isn't that how many treat our Father in heaven when they moan about the household of God that he has placed them in? It's as if they're the rebellious teenager who doesn't have a clue of the kindness of his own household. I mean, fortunately for many of us, one of the things that happened to us when we 
grew up as we began to appreciate what we had in our home and in our parents. You know, and it's time we grow up spiritually out of those teenage years, so to speak, and begin to realize just exactly what God has provided us in the church, in the, his household, in Jesus' bride. Now, fathers, think of what you insist of the children in your own home. Fathers, you often insist that everybody be together, don't you? Do you do that? Fathers, you better do it. You better do it. We're going to all be together and the devices are going to go away and you're not just going to sit in your own stink in your room. Right? You got to do that. Start when it's young. Right? Get everybody together. The family is doing something together and there is not a I'm going to stay in my own room option. No. No. Yet when it comes to God's household, when it comes to being together with the family of God in His home, we've all decided that we have a I'm going to stay in my own room option. We do. We always have something that takes precedent over the ministry of the household of God. And so it's our teenage sort of I'm staying in my own room. I don't care what you guys are doing. Attitude. When we train our children to be engaged with the family, we are training them for a life in their greater family, the church, to be engaged with their their siblings in the church. My children know there is um, nothing more important to me than the church. Nod your heads, guys. Come on. I've got them trained well. (laughs) <laughs> then God's household. I mean, that's why, that's, that's why I'm a pastor. I mean, pastors have to have that view. And if they don't, well, they should be doing something else, okay? Um, and, and you may say, well, you feel that way because you are a pastor. It's your job. And I say, well, yeah, I do get paid to be here. But I would be here if I didn't get paid. I would be here. I would be here as your pastor if I didn't get paid. Somehow make it work. This is my father's household and I desperately need his provision, his food, his love, his encouragement, his discipline. I need his smile. And I need my brothers and sisters exhorting and admonishing me with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. I need my children to be to be taught by others, right? Receiving the wisdom of those who don't, who don't share my particular sins. I need the help. And I need each one of you to help me to father my children, right? I need them to receive wisdom and, ex- and wisdom through experiences from others. I need the prayers of my brothers in my home fellowship group. I need the friendship of other members of God's household. I need the encouragement of those who are, are living for what is coming up, the wedding feast of the Lamb. I need, I need those who are heavenly minded to get me off this earth. I need all of you, right? We all need each other. We need engineers who have no feelings, right? And, and we need 
artists who only feel. <laughs> we need one another. And I need that friendship. I need that encouragement, right? And, and I'm part of a family with God as its father. Why would I want to be anywhere else? The family's gotten together and God's there with us and he's called the meeting. Why would I want to be anywhere else? As the family sings, I don't want to be the, the awkward teenage boy sitting separate with earbuds in his ears, not singing because he feels awkward. Nah, just, just be ugly and noisy. I mean, if you, if you sing long enough out of tune and loudly, they may just ask you not to sing anymore, in which case you have an excuse not to sing. No, that's not an option. Do your children, fathers, hear you speak of the church with terms of endearment or with complaints? You know, oh man, is everything like, oh yeah, we've got to do that? Or is it, man, the worship of God, we're getting together with our brothers and sisters, I can't wait, right? Larry's probably bringing his lasagna. Um, did you? Do, do your children hear how much you love to worship with Trinity? Do they hear how much you love to sit at the feet of other teachers? Do they hear complaints? If it is complaints they hear, you are not training them to stay in the church beyond you dragging them to church. As soon as you stop dragging them to church, they'll have no impetus. To be there because they're not going to, they, they don't think you love it. Why would they love it? It's God's household. Think of this. This church is God's household. If the church is God's household, do you think we should know the members of that household better than those who are not a part of that household? Should there be an, an intimacy here that we don't have anywhere else? Here. These people, these gathered, in, yoked together by a covenant of membership under God, covenanted with Him, with the Father as our head. Should there be intimacy here that we find nowhere else? Yeah, well, sure. If we are children of God, adopted into, his fa into the Father, having the love of the Father poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit, this most certainly must be true. This relationship we have to one another in the church because of God's, God's great gift to us is deeper than blood. It is more lasting than blood. This is now your family. Some of you have had to leave your families behind and you're fine with it and Jesus tells you to do it. It's obedience for you to find this, your new family. Right? And why? Because this, this is deeper than blood. It's more lasting, right? It's far more lasting than the 70 or 80 years we get to be families on this side of glory. Far more lasting than the years we get here to be husband and wife. 
far more lasting than the years we get to be fathers and mothers. Our relationship to God the Father and our, and our bridegroom Jesus Christ is more concrete, more lasting, more real. It's even eternal. It is more permanent than the most precious relationship you might have outside of Christ in this world. It is eternal. Jesus said to them, The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, for they cannot even die anymore because they are like angels and are sons of God being sons of the resurrection. That's what you are. Sons of God, sons of the resurrection. Your marriage at one point will end and become a faint memory. Which is mind-boggling for me to conceive of right now. I so love my wife. I so depend upon her. But at one point, it will mean very little to me. There are relationships more permanent than marriage, which will have its time and then ends and is given for the purpose of raising a godly seed. But we have that which is permanent in the church, the bride of Christ, the household of God. So as we are here today worshiping Jesus Christ, so we will always be forever. Forever and ever and ever. What is eternal has already begun here in the coming together of the local body. Even your marriage with your spouse will end, will not be per permanent, is perfectly superfluous. But your relationship with the household of God, the church, the bride of Christ, eternal. <laughs> Shouldn't we expect that that reality would bind us together in love, that that should have an effect on our desires to be together with our eternal family? The society of the household of God, sons of the resurrection. Some crunchy Presbyterian said this. The spiritual fellowship that a believer enjoys with his Redeemer is not a solitary or a selfish joy but one which he cannot possess alone or accept in common with other believers. It is the very nature, therefore, of the gospel to, to be not a solitary religion, but a social one. When Christ, through the Holy Spirit, brings a sinner into reconciliation and communion with himself, he then ushers him also into the fellowship of reconciliation and communion with all other Christians. When the work of grace is done upon the soul of man and the barriers of separation between him and his Savior are cast down and the sinner who is afar off is brought near to God, the very same work of grace removes the obstacles that hindered his union with other men. And in the fellowship of one faith and one Lord, he discovers a new and mightier bond of attachment and union to his fellow believers. Were there no positive command or appointment, therefore, of requiring Christians to unite together and to form on earth a society joined together by the profession of the same faith, 
the very nature of Christianity would force such a result. In the profession of it in common, men would find themselves insensibly drawn to other believing men with a power not to be resisted. And in the bond of the same Savior and the same Spirit, they would feel and own a nearer tie than that of kindred and a holier relationship than that of blood. In the common joys and sorrows which Christians and none but Christians share, in the one faith and one Savior in which together they rejoice, in the same hopes and fears, the same sin escaped, in the same salvation one in which they participate, there is a union of the most intimate kind produced and cemented, which is not with them a matter of choice, but a matter of inevitable necessity. Yes. That's what I said. <laughs> yes. Even if there weren't a command, the society of the sons of resurrection would be getting together and, I know, going through the Reedville Christmas parade together. The church, the church will be a refuge where we are together with others who get us who understand us, who know us, who love us, who love the one true living God. And it'll be the society of those who aren't fully sanctified and will sin against each other and have to, have to exercise forgiveness. And that will be part of our sanctification, right? When I first came to faith in Jesus Christ, that was a strange experience to me. I now had something, you know, I was 19, I was in college I was just reading the Bible. I don't know how I ended up at the church I ended up at, but I was in and out the door. You know, introvert. Didn't build relationships. But things began to change. And I now had something in common with the 85-year-old widow, when as before, I had nothing in common with an 85-year-old widow. Right? I now had something in common, deeply in common, with a stay-at-home mom with eight kids as a 19-year-old artiste. I now had something in common with, with those engineers. I now had something in common with an African or an Asian. And not just something in common, an intimacy with each of them that I had never had with any member even of my own biological family. I think back on the churches that I've been a part of, and there is no doubt that that is what I think of when I think of family. The churches I've been a part of. This is not because I, it's not because I come from a broken home, and not because I don't love my mother and my father and my brother deeply, not because I don't love my own children and my wife. I do. It's because of the greater glory of the church, her relationship to the great Father in heaven, the head of that household, and the eternal nature of this church, this society. And so I think of the church as my first family because Jesus said this, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. I mean, that's a painful verse for many people. Many people who have a chokehold on their children. 
I think of the church as my first family, as God's word says, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, and to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. What a glorious descriptor of the church. I think of the church as my first family because it is the household of God. It is the bride and body of Jesus Christ. Right? And there are things that are more lasting, that are more lasting and that run deeper than blood. And that is life together in God's household, which is an eternal, eternal thing that we will enjoy together. So love the church. Love the church. Love the church. You're stuck in her forever. Forever. She'll be your home. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for Jesus and his death to make our incorporation into your household even possible. We thank you that he is not... He is not a jealous older brother who lives to, to make our lives miserable, but he did everything for his, his younger siblings. What joy, what glory. And Father, I thank you that, that you have put us in your church. I pray that we would love her, that we would be committed to her, that we would delight in the things of the church, that we would... Um, that we would show to uh, this dark and dying world that there's a place of life and joy and peace. And it's your bride, the society of the redeemed. We thank you for the, for the church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.